I just started to deploy the diabetes line. I think a lot of us use that during diagnosis, yeah. explaining to scared family and friends. It's like it's like I've just found out I've got diabetes. I have to think about this every single day, um, but it is not going to kill me yeah, if yeah. I um, can kind of get on meds and stay on meds. On Inside HIV Today, we talk to two young guys about their diagnosis, getting on treatment, and the role that community plays in managing your health and well-being. Hi, I'm Dean Beck. This is part two of dealing with an HIV-positive diagnosis. Welcome to Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people, made possible thanks to the Victorian AIDS Council, VAC, Working Together, and Vive Healthcare, Positive Action Community Grants. If you missed last week's podcast, go back and have a listen to Campbell's story. It's inspirational. Plus, we met John, who only days earlier was diagnosed HIV positive. We'll catch up with John again later in today's podcast. But first... Nick Hollis and Juan Ace are two young guys who decided very early on to connect to other HIV positive people. Both went on to create community organisations that provide peer support and deliver a tangible sense of belonging for others. Let's meet the guys. Nick Hollis is with us. He is running an organisation called TIM. Nick, what is TIM? TIM is the Institute of Many. We're an advocacy platform for people living with HIV. Ruan's also here. Ruan, what is your organisation? Hipsters? So we're called the Hipsters or the Melbourne Hipsters, and we're uh, basically a social platform for uh, people who are pos uh, to come together and celebrate the upside of being positive. Celebrate the upside of being positive. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why, why that? Well, I think there's enough negativity around in the world, and um, we're really so fortunate to live in an era where we can pop a pill and crack on with life. So there's a lot to be thankful for. Nick, your story uh, was a bit out there when you were on ABC's Q&A. Um, firstly, what was that like? What was Q&A like? Gosh, yeah. that, it was two years ago, so I really need to get another big ticket gig like that because people still <laughs> often want to talk about Q&A all the time. Um, but, uh, you were thrust into the spotlight. Oh, I'm often the one doing the thrusting. Um, it, you know, Q&A, uh, AIDS 2014, that whole time, those very early days of Tim uh, were... Uh, so special and it was a crucible it was literally just we were, you know, just figuring out as we went along and then because of my visibility as a positive person and I think because as a community we, we hadn't had a lot of really visible voices from our ge- generation you were pitched as the, the new young voice yeah yeah the poster boy I got that yeah, a lot yeah. yeah and then you know and then I didn't quite necessarily fit the ideal mould because of my background in sex work and all that sort of stuff uh, which of course was fun was that, was that difficult to manage <laughs> uh, it was it wasn't difficult for me personally to manage I think um, it came as a bit of a shock to my family when right. I chose to be open about that and it certainly threw a spanner in the works for the HIV sector right right Ryan let's talk about your uh, mm-hmm. becoming positive what happened there? How did it happen? Yeah. Just the usual way. Too much jiggy jiggy. <laughs> you fucked and then you were positive. <laughs> yeah, it must have been no, more than it that. Was, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> oh, look, I, I guess it's uh, always more than my that. story was, you know, I thought I was doing the right thing. I asked all the right questions. We've both been, you know, tested uh, recently uh, prior to seeing each other. Um, relationship? And, uh, it was a relationship, yes. Yeah. Uh, we, we made the big decision of having a you know, condomless sex. And um, a couple of months later, I got really sick. 
Uh, so it turned out that um, my partner at the time had actually engaged in sex with people in between testing and myself, and um, lucky enough to uh, the jump on the bandwagon. So you are pretty out there regarding your positivity. Um, how did you get from becoming positive to being positive? Look, it wasn't easy. Um, I think I had the same feeling as everyone else when it happened. Um, I, I was ashamed. I didn't tell any of my best friends. Um, I felt not good enough all of a sudden. And I seriously woke up with a cloud hanging over my head for about four months. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did that look like? It was dire. I was, I was taking a lot of drugs. I, was, I wasn't really focused on life. I, um, I kind of gave up. Uh, I started seeing someone, which is sort of the light at the end of my tunnel. That ended abruptly, so that just thrust me further into, mm. into depression, I guess. Um, and then one day I just sort of came out of my days and I looked around and I thought I wouldn't hang out with any of these people if I wasn't off my head. And I really need to get my life sorted. So um, I remember what the nurse told me. I was actually in Barcelona when I received my diagnosis. Um, and I remember what the nurse told me, uh, that, that he, you know, working on the community and talking about it every day, like it's an everyday thing really helped him to cope with it so that was the one thing that stuck with me and I'd always already promised myself that I want to let at least one good thing come from this mm. so I just got involved in the community I started volunteering at Living Positive Victoria um, I went from you know uh, attending a Phoenix to, to facilitating Phoenix and um, it's true getting involved and talking about it does make things better so you threw yourself in the deep end in a community kind of way yeah. to connect to others that were like you or yeah well I think I, I always had an inherent sense of resilience that I, I didn't realize I had but um, it, it soon I, I thought that I was helping myself but realized I, re, I soon realized that it was, I was actually loving helping other people so yeah. and that is therapeutic for me in itself yeah it's that like um, volunteering you know it's yeah. like giving gives gives back yeah, yeah. I get that um, so you, you still have down days surely uh, every now and again I have a uh, my, my girl, one of my girlfriends always says we have 97% days and then we have 3% days. But <laughs> I don't have that many 3% days anymore, but um, they do come around every now and again. And then it's just about surrounding yourself with people you love and, and friends and, and creating good things and, 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 you know, putting good situations into your life. And then you just bounce back and crack on with it. Nick Hollis, how did you get it? How did I get it? I got it from either this really hot guy in Sitges in Barcelona or this really hot Superman-looking guy uh, in a sex basement in Paris or this really hot wolf daddy uh, in Barcelona. God, I feel so <laughs> local. That's, wor- that's worth it, really. Uh, I came back to Australia after that. Um, went on tour. was on the road for a few months. Did you... Uh, sorry, did you know overseas or did you not know till you got back no it wasn't until I got back right uh, and I got back and came got out of my regular testing cycle because I was touring so it wasn't until I was just shy of coming back from the tour to move to Sydney uh, that I was diagnosed um, and three weeks later we'd started Tim Wow. So that's kind of how I dealt with it. <laughs> and it threw yourself into the community as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Ron said it was so right that you get so much from giving back. And so let's look at those lines. those three weeks. What was going in, on in your head then? Um, I was back in Sydney. I was doing a show. So I, I was moving in with a friend. So I was just moved back to Sydney. So there was the newness of that as well. Uh, but I was just saying yes to whatever... Uh, came along from a doctor or, or a support type person uh, and do- my doctor said you should go to this workshop called Genesis which is like Phoenix you're a pretty strong person um, how was it to give yourself over to that process because that's what you're talking about uh, that was the first big barrier for me right. uh, it was turning up to Genesis and not being too cynical about it 
Right. I think when you are, you know, uh, creative and you are, I like to consider myself relatively intelligent and certainly um, rather resilient, sitting around and kind of admitting that, yeah, this might be a bit tough. Um, uh, and for all I know, uh, maybe I don't know everything. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 right. yeah definitely. And back then, I mean, I, I didn't, I, I had no, there was so much knowledge I still had to, to take on. Um, the news of my HIV diagnosis, however, was not upsetting to me. It was not devastating. I was in shock. It took me a couple of days, but I, as soon as I could, got in front of the, the people, like close friends that I really love. Is that because there was a kind of knowing that there was a possibility that that was the case anyway? Or Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know everything, but I knew I knew that HIV in 2012, I can't believe it was only four <laughs> years ago. I look back and I go, oh my God, this has been your full-time life for four years. Um, I need a holiday. Uh, <laughs> um, I knew then that it wasn't what it was in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And I was really fortunate to have kind of, to be of the generation, to be Gen Y, but just, you know, I'm old Gen Y. I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and I remember how terrifying AIDS was, and I knew it wasn't what it was. But then. that total uh, fear of uh, death sentence and stuff, that was uh, not your, that wasn't present to you immediately. No, no, no. Right. I knew right away, and I listened to my doctor, and I just started to deploy the diabetes line. I think a lot of us use that during diagnosis, yeah. explaining to scared family and friends. It's like, it's like I've just found out I've got diabetes. I have to think about this every single day, um, but it is not going to kill me yeah, if yeah. I um, can kind of get on meds and stay on meds. And what a privilege. And that's really what started to tick over in my head when we started Tim, was going, if I can get this news and I am a white gay man living in Australia, that means I have it better than anyone else in the world. And that is a responsibility, not something to take lightly. You mentioned treatment there. Um, how... Uh, quickly did you get on treatment and what barriers did you have to to personally deal with to before taking treatment? I jumped on treatment, I think it was about four weeks after. So I waited till Genesis yep. um, and I listened to some of the treatment stories. Your Genesis course, uh, which is like Phoenix here in Victoria, must have been timed pretty uh, um, right for you. Oh I mean, it was, it was good to go. It was serendipitous. <laughs> in fact... In fact, you know, my doctor said, you should go along to Genesis. And I went, okay. And I called up and they're like, oh, we've got one on this weekend. And I was like, great, I'll be there. And they went, oh, you could come back in three months. I'm like, no, no, it needs to be right now. So you learned about treatment of that. Yeah, I did. I mean, I remember seeing the chart that they sometimes give you. I don't know if you get the chart at Phoenix. Mm. It's like this huge, big piece of paper with all the different types of treatment. And that freaked me out. All the different um, combinations yeah, of medicines. All the con- yeah, 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 right. All the way through yeah. the AZT and the yeah. injectables, which, you know, hardly anyone's on anymore. Um, but yeah, just the, the, the scope, um, you know, that was a bit of a freak out and there's so much medical knowledge, but then, um, and this was 2012, we still really had to talk about side effects in the same way that, you know, we talked about from a nineties and early thousands perspective. And there's such a hangover there. I talk about it all the time on radio. There's this real hangover about that AZT time. And, um, we, we even talk about it with PEP and with PrEP, but the, the side effects really for 99% of people just don't exist. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the scary thing is is that, that a lot of HIV positive people, if they're not connecting into community into kind of spaces where they can talk to each other about treatment, just kind of accept what their doctor's saying about you know this particular regime. And I remember one regime in particular, um, uh, you know, causes a bit of um, you know mental anxiety and, and vivid dreams and that sort of mm, stuff. Mm. And 
one of the proudest things I am of starting Tim is that when they all got in there, everyone started to kind of share their side effects, and a whole bunch of people went, "Oh, I just thought that's this is what my life was going to be like right. forever now because I live with HIV." And everyone just went, "No, just go change," and they and they had the freedom to do that, and they did. Ruan, your story regarding treatment's a little different. Mine's a little different. Yeah, um, I was. I don't know if I would call it lucky, but um, I actually went and had, had all the baselines and all the tests done, and a few times in a row, uh, my test came back that my CD4s or my immunity was was doing really well. Uh, my viral load was really low and the doctor deemed me to be a long-term non-progressor and they kept saying to me look you don't have to take uh, you don't have to go on treatment if you don't want to um, I kind of accepted that I was like Whew. What is that Tell us So a long-term non-progressor is someone whose uh, body, I think it's one in 300 uh, people who, who, who has this, um, we have something in our bodies that's able to to control the, the virus to a certain point where it doesn't affect you for, for, for a longer period. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what um, helped save a lot of people back in the 80s before treatment came out. They were long-term non-progressors, so they're actually to, you know, able to to go through that period until the antiretrovirals came out and then they went it's why we still have some of the original people living with us today exactly yeah Yeah. so when that happened i was i I was i was kind of relieved and and, and kind of proud of myself a little bit i guess but um i have to say i got a lot of um kickback from other people who i told so people who weren't long-term non-progressors kind of um that they hated the fact that i was and that i didn't have to start treatment yet um and i had a lot of people and a lot of pressure of saying you need to start you need to start you know early is better early is better so I, I was kind of stuck. I didn't know if I should believe my doctor or believe everyone else. And because I was, you know, volunteering and, 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 and sort of, you know, very and active in, the, in yeah. the community, um, I got a lot of conflicting um, sure. opinions. So I went and did a bit of research. Yeah. And then I went to my doctor and said, and this was after a year and a half after I've been diagnosed, I went to my doctor and I said, look, um, I want to start because essentially I'm under a state of inflammation or my body is. Mm. Uh, we don't know what the long-term effects are. Just put me on whatever treatment you can and, and, and let's start that. And what did your doctor say to that? Fine, let's do it. Okay. It was my choice, yeah. Okay, so you've since started treatment, and you, your uh, connection to it, your um, that ability its, to... That in itself was a hard a hard slug, because yeah. now, I, I, maybe I'm afraid of commitment, but um, I kind of felt like, once you pop, you can't stop. So it took me three weeks of having the pills next to my bed before I actually had one. Do you know, it took me six months to get my script filled. Oh, really? And, like, I'd been given it, but for the same thing. It was this commitment phobia. Oh, it was yeah, like, oh, no, I'm the same. I, I didn't go and get it straight away. Yeah. yeah. So it took me a while to get them, and then they sat next to my bed. And I was, you know, with a friend at the time, and he was like, just have it, just have it. And in the end, we had a, a massive fight, and I just popped it because I was angry. <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird how that fucks with your head, that, yeah. that once you pop, you can't stop yeah. thing. Because that's exactly what happened with me, yeah. Mm. And it was like... The That's day I start, it's the the every day thereafter. Yep. When you do it, you have to. Anyway. And the fact that I thought I didn't really have to, I was like, should I then? So am I just forcing myself to do something that I don't really have to? And then I thought, oh, you know what? And then, you know, the one thing that did change my mind was... Um, if I knew that once I've once I'm taken this and and I'm actually then I'm actually really in control. I'm not waiting for my body to control it. If I if I get the flu or if I get sick, you know, I'm not going to have a spike in my viral load. So it was really about control for me. How do you stick to it? Um, so I have three alarms set, and I also use an app called I Stay Healthy. So every time I go to the doctor, they give me all my baselines, all that stuff, and I put it in there, and I can you, you can you can you know measure your progress. Um, but yeah, literally three alarms. My Fitbit tells me eight o'clock every night it's time for a pill, and I realize that eight o'clock was the only time that I'm either going to be a awake, be home, and ready to bingo. To me do too. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, how do you stick to training? Uh, I used to set my alarms. I used to use I Stay Healthy. Uh, to be honest, after a period of time, it just becomes habit. Yep. Um, and morning or night? Uh, morning for me. I'm a breakfast okay. person. I like breakfast. I need breakfast, so it kind of goes with that. 
Um, it's weird how, you know, it's either a morning person or an evening person. It's about person. what time of day works for you. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, there's also that anxiety the first time you skip a day accidentally. <laughs> and that fear. Um, and that's something that comes up in Tim quite a lot. You know, oh, I missed a day. Is that going to be right? Or I've only got two left for the weekend before I get my script filled. Um, you know, and you just want to kind of allay people's fears that because i think we've been put the the fear of god's been put into us regarding missing a day absolutely there's there's do you think it's a bit overhyped i think it's i think it's uh, well look your doctor will always tell you to take your pills every single Mm. day because it's habit forming um you know but but it's it's you know you can't say to someone oh you don't need to be so worried about it but you also don't need to be paranoid and terrified if you're going to miss one day sure and at the end of the day we're talking about uh, level in your blood, really, exactly. uh, and that tapers off over a period. It's like it's not as if after twenty four hours you have nothing in your system. No, no, no. It's got yeah, a, yeah. All, and all the modern ones have a great half half life to right. them. Right. Um, yeah. So I mean, when if for example you were stranded somewhere overseas and you only had ten pills left for for, for fifteen days or whatever, just ration them out. You know, skip every other day or something like that, um, and you'll be fine. The other thing, too, I, that people think is that, you know, as soon as they don't take their pill, they're going to be infectious all over again, which is so not the case. That much we know. And what about uh, part of the whole care regime is, of course, heading back to get your script uh, three or four months later. And I think mm-hmm. it's four months now if you're on a good regime and all's well. Do you look forward to that occasion to get your results back? Or is it just, it's again, just, habit form? It's just, yeah, it's just... I still look forward the, to the result. Oh, it's just part of the it's just part of the the, the routine now. Like, yeah. I get every six months. Okay, because it's oh, wow. you know I've gotten to that point. I go get my blood done every six months. I get a script month, six month script. Right. Um, I usually can only pick them up in two month allotments. So, so. they don't tell you that in the early days. Either. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, in those early days, you really want to keep an eye on it. Sure. But now I'm now at the point where it's like just go in. And the thing is, some people can't get to that undetectable level. They yeah, they just don't. Um, or it might be the actual medication that they're on. Uh, isn't working for them and so it is important to when you're kicking off a new regime get it monitored and regularly in those early stages yeah very much so and i think we're a little bit too in love with the notion of undetectability yep. and i think it is leaving some of the rest of our brothers and sisters behind a bit i agree what do you mean by that well there are, like you said there are going to be some people for whom oh, undetectable right. isn't possible or yep. some people it's going to take a lot longer than your standard you know um you know, just person getting diagnosed and, and popping pills and taking six weeks or less. So we want to be really mindful of that because, you know, undetectable treatment as prevention uh, is so, so vital. We know this for, for ongoing sure. um, HIV prevention. But at the same time, there are not just elders, but there are definitely elders in our community whose treatment history and experience of AIDS-defining illnesses is, is, is making that difficult for them. Mm. And there's young people who, you know, who might not have been diagnosed really, really, really late into their um, HIV transmission and now have gone on to get AIDS-defining illnesses. And it's taking them some time too. Ryan, you uh, said that you also look forward to those regular tests, uh, like me. Tell me a bit about the non-progressive stage of your life uh, before you're on treatment. Um, were you concerned about your levels and uh, having sex with other people in that space before you we were on treatment, knowing that your levels were suppressed? 
Definitely. So um, it, it was. I was still as excited as I am now. Maybe a little bit more actually, because um, if you th- if you think about it, I had to just look after myself, be healthy, get get as many vitamins and minerals and as as I possibly can. Go to the gym, and I was I was trying to to sustain that level of you know long term non progressive status for as long as I can. But see, that doesn't mean anything to me in the sense that I don't know whether that means you're non. Passer honourable or not? Well, non, I, I, you know. I didn't know either. So I would, I was a, I was a total zero sorter. Right. So I would yep. not sleep with or engage in sexual activity with anyone who wasn't HIV positive, uh, based on the fact that I could never be sure. Sure. Yeah. And and so I guess without medication, uh, if you got a little crook, your levels could have could have gone know, up, gone yeah. right up. Yeah. That brings me back to the uh, to the control thing that I was talking about earlier. Now that I'm on pills, I actually know that I'm controlling it. And, and even if you get sick uh, with a, a cold, your levels won't go up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So sticking to your regime and your testing regime, um, you look, we were just saying before you uh, are happy to get those results. Why? Well, I'm happy because I've been one of the lucky one of the lucky few who um, who have gone back every time. I've had a really good my immunity was really good. My viral load was always really low, but I have to say um, the last time I went and got tested, I haven't. That was a month and a half ago, and they were telling me that the blood lab had a bit of a backlog. Uh, I just need to be patient, and I, and I realised this morning it's been a month and a half, and I still haven't yeah. had those results back. <laughs> so I should They're probably, probably just sitting at your doctor's. Yeah, idea. probably. Yeah, yeah. No news is good news, probably. Yeah. <laughs> these days, you know, these days my doctor will just like just give me a bell, yeah. or like, yeah, you know, if I've got to come in for an STI, he'll, I get like, an call email. Me up and go, hey, can you? Go? You have to come in. I'm like, oh, he's like, yeah, you just need it. Need that shot again, <laughs> <laughs> again. My, I get my results emailed to me from a doctor. Exactly. So, yeah. Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people. Hey, tell me, um, have you found you take a little longer to get over a cold or that sort of thing? Or is that uh, just getting old? Maybe I'm just paranoid. Just, I think it's just getting old. Uh, you know, and I'm the same. You know, like that. It's weird though how your mind plays tricks. Absolutely, on you like absolutely. I mean, the the catalogue of potential side effects and you know question marks of like, oh, is this could be HIV related? We see we see this in Tim happen a lot, and it's I'm so glad that space is there uh, as with other spaces because you know that someone can go, oh, I've got this rash, and it's like it's, it's just a rash. Like, but but you know. It's this big thing that does hang over many, many of our heads, and we've got to process the it. The first sore throat or cold I got, I yep. just was Blame. like, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, all my levels were where they should have been, yeah. but I was just paranoid. Yeah. I've been a lot more tired, but I think that's more to do with running Tim and being an HIV activist <laughs> than actually my HIV status. <laughs> yeah, it was the same when I was newly diagnosed, you know, for the first for the first um, year or so. Every time I, I got a, a cold or something happens, I'm like, oh, it's the head. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. straight back to the doctor and he's like, no, just calm down. You know, it's, just, it's, it's normal. So, But now I don't even think about it. And I don't really get sick anymore either. I'm just... Did you get any counselling run? Uh, no. No, I didn't. Um, you, other, you did your uh, course? I went and did Phoenix, yeah, yeah and, and that, which is counselling in itself, really, because yes, you, you yeah. meet 15 other people who are in the same boat and they give you all this information and you walk up, you know, well-armed and ready for life again. Um, but I never went and saw an official counsel or anything, No. What about you, Nick? Uh, I was in therapy at the time. I kind of dropped out of therapy my whole life. Um, so my therapist was great. Um, you know, I sent an email saying, hey, I've just been diagnosed. And he's like, let's right away, let's talk. That, that must really have been helpful. great to have had that established relationship already. Yeah. It was really, really fantastic. Yeah. Um, I got counselling um, through the Victorian AIDS Council's uh, counselling system. Yeah. And I'm so thankful that I did. I mean, with my background in in the sector uh, previously, 
I was told, you know, doing a Phoenix course really wasn't, I wasn't going to get much out of it. Uh, but the one-on-one counselling stuff was fantastic and uh, couldn't recommend it highly enough. Fantastic. Worked for you. Uh, Genesis was fantastic. You did both, didn't you? I did you? both. Yeah, well, Genesis I had my therapy. Yeah. Um, and then, but yeah, the Genesis group really um, was so valuable for me. But I guess that's kind of looking back on a Tim Legacy point of view now. I, I don't... It's hard, I'm trying to now. It's hard to piece together what I personally got out of that experience yeah, and what right. that moment symbolises sure. for me as the Tim co-founder. I've always said that connecting yourself to community and uh, me being connected to the HIV community prior to it was invaluable for me. But um, it also presented its own little hurdles uh, for me mm. to get over. But um, putting yourself into that community space, Nick, what was that like for you? Because it was a new, was it a new community for you then? Yeah, it was a new right. community, absolutely. Um, I always say that HIV is something you can do alone, but it is infinitely more difficult. The sooner you can find yourself amongst other HIV positive or at least allied and supportive people, the easier it's going to be. Mm. Um, for me, look, it's been the most rewarding and important thing I've ever done in my life, I have to say, setting up Tim and kind of... HIV advocacy and activism. That's really all I have to say on it. <laughs> but you, you set up a community organisation, but you had to connect to community before setting up a yes. sort of subset of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, well, that's, that's it, what it, it all scary was. Or? Uh, I wouldn't say it was scary. I said it's, it's been taxing, but more, it's been rewarding than taxing. Um, there have absolutely been times where I've, you know, been pulling my hair out and, um, you know, crying into my pillow and things like that instead of screaming <laughs> into it. You know, the, I just the benefits. This, the benefits. Oh my god! I mean, I, I not, not a week goes by that someone doesn't reach out in some way and let me know what Tim has done for wow. them. Wow! Um, and that's really special. Yeah. Um, and it's you know I understand it's been challenging. It's certainly not perfect. Um, we've never pretended that it's a perfect space. We we constantly refer to it as an experiment because that's what it was. I mean, I have to remember back. This is 2012. The Swiss statement. Um, which was the, the, the scientific proof that, um, you know, undetectable helped. Um, it was only a few years old, but it wasn't. It really wasn't accepted by the community yet. Um, Still struggling in spots. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and more to that, the, the notion of HIV community organising was really stuck somewhere in the kind of 90s. You know, I remember... It was. Yeah, you're right. I remember saying at Genesis, um, you know, where to now? What's the next step? Jeff Lang, the co-founder, is super social. He's like, what happens now? And they, everyone at the workshop just had to go, well, this is it. And we do something called Planet Positive. Um, and I think that, you know, there was a huge percentage of POS people, specifically POS guys, who just didn't see the HIV community sector as for them. Well, that's because it had been run organisationally and the only community connection to it for so long was if you either volunteered for one of those organisations or um, worked for one of those organisations and the community aspect of them was telling you what to do. There was no sort of um, groundswell of community running it for themselves, supported and encouraged by the organisation. Absolutely, and, and I think there was still that percentage of what, you know, what the sector refers to as high-needs Clients and those people and those people absolutely deserve and require services that are tailor made for them and spaces for them because but they're dealing with very very different to what you're talking about. Hugely different, absolutely. I yeah. remember someone saying to me once, um, they wouldn't even walk into that building 
because of the association with just being old and dying of AIDS. Yeah, and I've had some horror stories come back to me of young people that have been referred to, you know, some of those um, places that have done that, walked straight in there and then walked out and shut down for two and five years and gone into their own tailspin because they were confronted by something that is really an historical reference. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I think, you know, and, and uh, you know, this is not sector ignorance. I think absolutely the community sector knew this. Um, but as with everything, it takes community to identify what it needs. Because if you tried to do a TIM or you tried to do a hipsters that was, you know, fully respect and funded by one of the organisations, it would fail. It would fall mm. over because mm. it would seem like, we always said this about Tim, it's like you can't start a really cool band in your mum and dad's garage. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you need a bit of indie cred. You've got, um, you got to get out of there you've some, got, you've got someday. To get, yeah. Absolutely. Because if you, if you appear to be under their thumb, um, that natural, I guess, suspicion mm. of organisations uh, will turn people away. Ruan, you've uh, founded Hipsters. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a little bit like Tim in that it's got a social aspect, mm-hmm. um, Melbourne-based. How did you connect to the HIV community first and why now this offshoot? Okay. So when I was um, diagnosed, I actually had no information or education about HIV. I knew nothing. So in a I, foreign country. In a foreign country. But So when I went to my first, you know, Phoenix workshop, I was, you know, an average Joe, I, mm. starting from scratch. I had, I had no idea. And then I sort of started meeting people in the, uh, in, in, the, in the sector. I started volunteering. I went, you know, over to facilitating and do the Public Speakers Bureau or Positive Speakers Bureau uh, and doing all these things. Um, and, that, and I started just meeting people. And I, I'm a people person. It's, it's what I do. Um, so I started talking to a lot of people and, and putting the feelers out and seeing what's around there and um, and just seeing uh, what I can do, where I can add value. So I went into the, the, the PLDI or the Positive Leadership Development Institute uh, workshop last year. And, you know, I remember leaving there and my goal was empty. I didn't, I, I didn't fill in a goal because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then when I came back, things sort of happened and I saw in the community that there's really a need for, for um, a space that's more sort of Melbourne or Victorian based. It's a bit local uh, where people can actually get to know each other. We can create a little family. Uh, if someone, you know, posts on the wall, hey, guys, I'm hitting, you know, blah, blah, blah tonight. Would you, gonna, would you like to come? You're going to get a response of, you know, five or ten people saying, yeah, I'll meet you there. I was going there as well. So I think there was real value in creating something that's a little bit more local, but also something where people can really create that family feel, make true connections and, um, and boost each other a little bit. So it's become uh, much more focused on the social network of, of side of things. Yes. Um, what support or encouragement are you getting from the sector? Um, so far, they have been amazing. Uh, every time I've mentioned anything to anyone on the sector, they've been over-supportive. They've mentioned it to other people. Uh, the, the group's getting out. I mean, we've only been up six months, and we've got, I think it's 115 members now, which is, which is quite well. And I, and, I, and I really attribute that to the sector. Um, also, because I had been part of, of, of Phoenix, and Phoenix has, a, has their own group called Generation Next. I was in Generation Next, so it was logical for a lot of the people from Generation Next to then come over to the Hipsters because it's sort of you know an older group, I guess. Um, um, and then they can move in and, and, and continue. So I took a lot of networks and connections from, from, from the sector. So just to be clear, Generation Next is a social group for younger people with HIV? Yes. and uh, Younger hipst- gay men. Younger gay, younger gay, gay men, men. Yeah. right. And Hipsters is for all HIV positive people all that HIV are a positive. little bit older. A little bit older, men, women. Yep. We love everyone. And Tim is also for all sexes and sexualities. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah very much so. 
Is it? It started off very social, and it's become a little bit more um, counselling, uh, or or has it? No, no, it's still no, very social. I refute that. Um, okay. Uh, well, it's very social. In we have meetup chapters. Sydney is our biggest one. Obviously, that's where we founded. Uh, we've had Melbourne meetup chapters that have been really big for a time, and then they wax and wane. We have a, have a consistent Mel- uh, Brisbane meetup group. Uh, and a semi-consistent Perth one, but it's really about what... And Adelaide, sorry, as well. Um, wow. So it's really about what the community in Tim want and right. respond to, but it's always been about it's up to you. So you so know, that, that uh, troubleshooting or uh, seeking help, how does that work? So then you've got the Tim Facebook group, yep. which is kind of our advocacy platform and, and space. Uh, I remember, I mean, it's so... Uh, I look back... Fondly, at the time where we were like a family, I'm just talking about hipsters, you know, I knew the first hundred people, if not personally, I knew where they came from and just felt so connected. Now you've got no idea. And I've got no <laughs> freaking idea. No, now people come up to me on the street and they're like, hey, I'm in Tim. And I'm like, that's so great. I'm always so excited to meet yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. But I've not got no idea who they are. I mean, we've got nearly 1,500 people in there these days. And that's big um, for a largely Australian-focused group. We do have international members, though. Um, and so there's a, there is a natural change that comes from expanding mm-hmm. at that rate mm-hmm. and we really blew up really quickly too you know we went from 100 to 500 in i can't remember but we were adding you know six to ten people a day at which one point. speaks to the need i guess absolutely yeah. and this is this is again um you know a couple of years ago so now the tim main group is not what it used to be and that's okay um it can never be that kind of intimate connected space that it was but it is the place where you can go to and get something answered, get something off your chest, um, come or be pointed in the right direction. Absolutely, yeah, 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 very much so. And you know, and it kind of it cycles through. It's the same questions on a you know, roughly six month pattern. Um, and the great thing is, is the people who got their questions answered last time are the first to answer them this time around. Um, and some people graduate as well. They kind of go, oh. This is great. I've got everything I need out of this. I don't need to look at HIV every day on my Facebook feed. I don't need that in my life at the moment. And we think that's fantastic. They come back. They don't come back. You know, it's a movable feast. I went to my first ever one of these things very recently uh, to the Hifsters function recently. And I've got to say I had a ball. Um, I'm not on Facebook uh, yet. Maybe one day. But uh, it really was wonderful. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Glad you enjoyed it. It was fantastic. It was very good. I was also there. (laughs) We had a good night. (laughs) That's Nick Hollis, founder of the Institute of Many, or Tim, and Ruan Ace, who founded the Hipsters. There'll be links to both of those organisations on the blog for this podcast at InsideHIV.net. Connecting to organisations like Tim and the Hipsters provides you with a community of people who understand where you're at. Knowing you're not alone helps tremendously, especially when dealing with a new diagnosis. And knowing you're undetectable does wonders for your own mental health. So discussing treatment options with your doctor and getting onto it as soon as possible is going to deliver you the most empowered positive outcomes. Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people. Visit InsideHIV.net or download from iTunes. Last week, we met John, 
who had received his HIV positive diagnosis only 10 days before. Let's see how John's doing today. John, welcome back. Well, thank you for having me. You, in the last week, have uh, done some counselling and that sort of stuff. Um, where are you at personally? Uh, at the moment, still a bit head screwed, um, especially becoming sick with the cold. What did that do to your head? Oh, messed it with a big time. Yeah, me too. I feel like shit, um, especially with the meds, going to the campus and finding out what meds I can and can't Tell us about take. that. Um, it was weird. Just going, normally I can go in there and just get normal cold and flu tablets and cough medicine. This time I had to show them what medication I was taking and being told, no, I can't take this one I normally take and go through and find ones that I can actually take. Because some of the ingredients in some of those cold medications would interact with your meds. Yeah. They said it would have increased the, the dosage and the reaction of the meds, which I didn't realise until... But lucky I asked. Mm. Which is a reminder to us all. And it's not just uh, cold and flu medications. It's even things like vitamins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some, some of the vitamins that I could only take with um, high zinc levels can't have those. So I had to look for more vitamins that didn't have a high zinc level. Right. Uh, what we haven't really done is give a bit of background. We don't need to know what sort of work you do, but uh, your nature of your work is a contract uh, space. How has getting a diagnosis affected that? Uh, it's affected in a big way, especially one of the positions in that contract. Being HIV, I can't do that position at the more. I've got to stay undetectable for a certain amount of period. That's a line item in your contract? Yeah, it is. Right. And do you agree with that, or do you think uh, that that is? I mean, do you, do you think that it could be phrased differently, or what? What are your thoughts on that? Um, it was a bit of shock, but the boss is going through the contracts now. We're doing that last night to find a way, a loophole around it, and have it reworded so it's much easier for me. But then in the day, it's up to the the main companies involved with the contracts. I can't think of an industry which doesn't employ best practice in any space, whether that be tattooing or beauty therapy or uh, surgery, that if you treat all people as if they're potentially infectious, regardless of whatever that disease might be, you put in the barriers in place to protect yourself and others and all of that. Um, and if you're operating at that level, all is well and good. And we should all be operating at that level yeah. if we're you know, dealing with blood products or human body bits or whatever. Do you agree with that? I do agree with it. But with some of the companies, they're American companies as well. So they still use their ah, protocols as well. And right. Different states have their own protocols gotcha. as well. Okay. Rightio. So the boss is looking into that. Yeah. So that meant what? You had to access uh, social services? What? What have yeah, you done? Yeah? I've had to access social services. How's that process been? A <laughs> uh, nightmare. Yeah, why? Um, they want to know the ins and outs of everything. Like we're taking the certificate in there, they want to know the full details of what the condition was as well. Do they need to know that? To process it, yeah, they did. Right, okay. Were you comfortable with that? Um, not telling the person in front of all the other people waiting there that I actually started to write it down and yeah when I started writing it down I broke down in the office that's fucked so that was supportive she took me into an interview room and sat down with me she even got teary as well um, when I was trying to explain the situation to her and she's been she's been supportive she's been ringing up to see how I'm going as well well I'm sorry to hear that that's uh, pretty messy there's also a lot of forms involved with that crap how's yeah. that going for you um, 37 pages. Wow. 
And some of the questions they... And that's standard issue. Yeah. Some of the questions they ask again, um, they have the largest bypass because the relationship statuses and all that, they ask if you're in a relationship about four times within the, the booklet to fill in. And then there's your section at the back for all the doctors to fill in as well of every what's treatment and conditions and everything. Which means they really want to know what's going on. Yeah. And look, you know, I guess there's all sorts of reasons why we have those protocols um, and plenty of examples of, it, you know, the system being ripped off. Yeah. But it makes you wonder how the system gets ripped off um, when there's theoretically all of these things put in place. Yeah. yeah it's weird. You've also been accessing some counselling. Yeah. How's that? That was good. I had my um, assessment on Thursday and that was quite good. It was a very opening as well. So I'm looking forward to more of those um, just to help clear my head because the last couple of days I have had down moments where I thought it might have been easier just to walk in front of that bus again, um, especially with some of the abuse that I've been copying as What's, well. What do you mean by that? What, what um, abuse? On the chat programs. Social yeah. um, hookup sites yeah. and stuff, yeah. What, um, what have they said? Uh, age-ridden assholes. Um, like they say in their profiles that they don't want anyone with HIV and yet they start chatting to you. I just turn around and say, no, we're not a match. And yeah, I just copped the abuse. Does your profile state your status or not? No, it doesn't. Okay. They haven't been comfortable to put it on there yet. Yeah, sure. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It's... An example, a very prime example of the stigma that is often yeah. faced by... And it's mainly by the older guys. That's interesting. Yeah, go on. Um, most of the older guys have been very aggressive towards it. Um, what, what sort of age group are we talking when you say older? Um, mid-30s upwards. Yeah, okay. um, Some of the younger guys in their 20s have got their head screwed on. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And yet some would say that they're the generation that didn't experience uh, yeah. and, and perhaps wouldn't know um, what's going on. And yet you're saying they're not as... Well, I'm generalising here, but many aren't uh, as fearful and are better educated. They are. Since the PrEP's been promoted a lot, they've got a more understanding. The ones our age and older assume that, as like in the 80s, where we had that Grim Reaper ad... We're going back 30 years, though. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of developments in no, 30 no. years, hasn't that's it? what they keep on... That's what some of them brought up. Wow. That we to, the Grim Reaper ad, and the fear of catching something. There's also uh, language that you indicated to me, which uh, I think is not only highly discriminatory, but uh, doesn't really address the issue. And this is around being clean. What have you seen in that space? Yeah, everyone has in their profile clean. And to me... It doesn't quite make sense. Do you know what I said when I first saw that? Of course I've had a shower. Yeah. You know, I've got some sort of dignity and self-respect. Of course I've cleaned up. The language doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know? And being undetectable, does that mean you're unclean? It must do. And if you've got gonorrhea but don't know it, what does that mean? The, the language is stupid, yeah. isn't it? Um, I guess it's part of the thing that was going around Facebook where everyone's posting their photos, they're saying, I'm clean regarding HIV a few years ago. Uh, I'm quite happy for you to name and shame the uh, pro the platforms, or is it all the platforms? It's all the platforms. Right, okay. It's universal. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah, you see it Get your shit together, guys. I mean, seriously. And here's the thing. What you're now finding is that you're having to educate in this space. Yeah. How do you find that? Or do you just not engage? Um... I have been 
telling some people um, I had a go at one person, <laughs> and it, it did get nasty. I was used, I was swearing using the c word, the c word a lot, telling them to pull their. Well, there's different in. ways yeah. to educate, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, like he was going on about, oh, so I'm on prep, I'm prep, I don't want to catch anything. And they turned around and said, well, if you're on a prep, you've got nothing to worry about, but it's not going to stop you from getting every other yeah, STD. Sure. Yeah, got very aggressive and then blocked me. And that's fine. I mean, you basically loss. you basically don't want to engage with dickheads. But yeah, look, uh, we've still got a lot to learn, don't we? Yeah, we do. Mm. But I'm glad the younger generation now got their head screwed on and many have. Understanding. Yeah. yeah. Wake up to yourselves, the rest of you. Now, how's the week ahead looking for you? Have you got systems in place to um, look I do. after yourself? Going away for a few days, just clear my head and be around some family, and then yeah, back into it next week. We look forward to, to speaking with you then. Thank yep. you. Cheers. No Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people. On the next episode of Inside HIV, you'll hear what I got up to in Adelaide at the Australasian HIV Conference. I'm Dean Beck. Stay positive. Visit InsideHIV.net or download from iTunes. Made possible thanks to the Victorian AIDS Council, the AC working together, and Vive Healthcare Positive Action Community Grants. Follow us on Twitter at HIV Podcast and like us on Facebook. Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people.